we acknowledge that together we reside learn and create on the land of the haudenosaunee anishinaabewaki mississauga wendaki neonwensio and neutral people we seek re-indigenization we stand with the indigenous community and welcome indigenous voices on this platform we are grateful to be working and learning on and about this land and we honor these communities as the traditional stewards of these lands. Hi there, my name is Simi J. Patoka, my pronouns are they, them. And hello, my name is Casamorum, and my pronouns are she, her. And we are... The Dreaming Divas. We are a podcast inspired by the Screaming Divas. And our goal is to create a similar platform, but from the perspective of young singers. And today, we had on one of my best friends, Laura Curiali, who is not only a great mezzo, but an amazing producer, and talks a little bit about how she got into that. We are so excited to dive into this conversation. It was a really powerful one today, um, and it's all about following your own path, no matter what anybody else says, and just following your heart. So, we hope you enjoy! Check it out! Ding! I don't know which side it is, but I just do it anyways. <laughs> Hi. Hi, bestie. Hello. Hi. So, Laura Curiali, welcome. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Yeah, no problem. Did I have a choice? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. You didn't have the choice. <laughs> Oh um, but nonetheless, I'm really happy you're here. Uh, I grew up in London, Ontario, Canada. I don't know. <laughs> and so um, I uh, was a part of choirs growing up, um, pretty formative uh, choirs. And really, I mean, I'm sure for most music people um, is how I learned to sight, like, sight read, how I learned to read music, how I learned to connect with music, how I learned uh, to connect with other artists and sing in, in harmony and tandem with other people. And I think like was the reason why I, I was just like, my eyes were open to how music can connect people. And I think like choir is really beautiful for that. So as I continued on in choir, um, I was in that choir for probably 10 years. And then um, I was, I originally went into psychology in university. This might be a theme of our night. I originally went into psychology for a year um, and then was like, nope. And then uh, in psychology, I was also in therapy. And my therapist said to me, you know, I was doing a minor in music, which is a whole nother story of how I got into that minor. And I think Sim knows part of it. But basically, um, I was in a minor in music and it's the only class that I really like was like engaged in, had friends in, like loved, even though I suck at theory. And um, my therapist said, well, why aren't you in music? And I said, good point. And um, so then I signed up for an audition that day. I taught myself the singing requirements. I was auditioning for voice, taught myself the requirements, found a pianist, a random pianist, 
and did the audition myself um, and then didn't hear anything for the whole year. And then in August, I was like, hey, I emailed them. I was like, hey, I know I didn't get in, but like, do you have feedback? And they're like, oh my God, we forgot to tell you, you got in, here are your classes. And- uh, I remember that part. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay. And then um, so went into music degree. And then uh, I was originally in education and then I was like, oh, no, I really want to perform. Like, I just really want to be with shows and things like that, surrounded by um, performers. And so I auditioned for performance stream, didn't get in, was rejected in my first year, auditioned again in my second year, um, got in. Um, and then that's kind of when Simi and I met too and became close. And then I went through the performance stream for the rest of my university career, performed in some operas, some musicals through, um, through London and the school. And... Um, and then in my final year, I was auditioning for performance masters, um, as well as running the theater company on campus. And I think we'll chat a little bit about it tonight, but um, kind of just fell in love with production, fell in love with producing shows and all that comes with it, the chaos that comes with it. Um, and then uh, and then started my own theater company. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I was like, you know, I think uh, I had this idea that I needed to have a career first. And then turns out you don't. And you can just say that you're a theater company and people will believe you. <laughs> so yeah. I was way over 60 seconds. You you were nice to me. Oh, babe, it was three minutes. <laughs> okay, so you go through an undergrad yeah. of music. And then you apply to a master's degree. Yeah, multiple. Multiple master's degrees. Mm -hmm. And then you start one. Mm -hmm. And do you want to finish this story? <laughs> <laughs> well, the spoiler alert is I did not finish that master's degree. I withdrew from that master's degree. It was a master's um, in opera performance. Um, and there was a lot of things that kind of led up to it. Um, so in my final year at Western, um, I co-ran the theater company on campus and it was a wonderful experience. And I kind of had um, a couple moments in that experience. So that was a year long uh, kind of um, co-running that. And there was a lot of moments in that where I kind of started to realize in, in tandem, I was also in an opera, I should say that. So I was on stage and also running behind the stage at the same oh time. At that time, you know, in the opera, I was one of the principal roles in the opera, which is like, I still think is an incredible opportunity. Like I learned so much about myself in that experience. As I was kind of looking around in rehearsals and, uh, and also, you know, seeing how I was in rehearsals, like who I was, because I think that we are influenced by different um, environments. Like we become different people in different environments. I, you know, just observing who I was in rehearsal and observing who I was running these executive meetings and running these, you know, in putting a show on the production elements. Um, I was totally different people. And one of them was, I was riddled by fear and perfectionism as I stepped into rehearsals and stepped into a practice room alone. And then I'm stepping into these executive meetings and these production meetings and I'm like, I'm running stuff like I'm I feel fulfilled I feel full 
and I feel like I know like not that I know what I'm doing but that I have the capability to get there and so um so that was kind of happening at the same time and at the same time I was also looking at my peers and so I Simi knows this I observe life a lot <laughs> and so I I kind of figure out what I think and what you know and I kind of internally process and observe life so I was also observing the other people in the room in my rehearsals and I just realized that there was something in them that I didn't have and it wasn't talent I I am I know that I am a good singer. I know that I work hard and I worked hard for the positions that I got in school and the marks that I got. Um, I know that I'm talented and a good performer. It wasn't that, it was this internal drive. It was this internal motivation. And I would look at people in the opera with me, the other principals, and they just eat, sleep and breathe performing and these characters and bettering themselves with vowels and diction, which I think is beautiful, but it wasn't me. And I enjoyed performing and it was fun, but it wasn't this internal drive that I felt that my peers had. And, and not that I felt that they had, that they, that they were expressing, you know, that they were verbalizing, that they had this drive and this, this motivation. So I kind of was realizing that in my final year as well. And um, also at the same time, wow, finally you really had a lot going on. Also at the same time, um, me and um, my, one of my best friends and Simi's best friend, our, um, you know, the end of our little trio, um, Josh, uh, who also is um, the person that I started my theater company with, um, we kind of, uh, he also was um, co-running this theater company with, or this campus theater company with me. And uh, we, we just started realizing the holes in not only theater, but in opera, these holes of the supports for emerging artists and these holes of, well, there's so many people in the school. And I remember like this one week where I was really riddled with anxiety about my masters and whatever and everything else that goes along with being in a music program. <laughs> I remember going to multiple teachers and saying, well, what do I do next? And they would say things in their great teacher ways of, oh, well, you'll do this, this master's and then this young artist program and then whatever, 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 like these are the steps. And then I said, no, 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 like, what do I do next? Like, like, what should I, how do I audition? How do I find an audition outside of school? How do I, how do I sign a manager? How do I, how do I approach a manager? How do I, how do I do this and this, these small little things that I felt that these were not provided or supported for students, um, specifically going out into opera. But I also, as we were running the theater company and there was a lot of people in neuroscience, in psychology, in all these things that are getting undergrads and basically saying, I'm going into acting. And they also were like, I don't know how to do that. Like I, like the, I feel like the, the, the thing that here in Canada that we say is you move to Toronto. And you figure it out like or you know if it's the states you move to new york and you figure it out you move to la and you figure it out well i don't think that humanity is meant to figure it out or i don't think that humanity is meant to figure it out on by ourselves i i, I really wanted to so to figure out these different support systems so josh and i started thinking up um, a development model so we were also really um, moved by essentially the fact that there is relatively no um well-loved 
canonical Canadian theater. Like there, there just isn't. And so, and, and musical theater and opera, like, let's be honest, right? And so we, we also were kind of coming up with this development model of um, how do we, it's a, we've, we've jigged it a little bit now through the theater company, but we originally had it at a seven month model uh, where we would bring in brand new playwrights um, and partner them and get and essentially cast with new um, artists, new actors and, and singers, cast their shows, um, do development workshops, and then actually get published playwrights, published composers, all this to watch. So we would create like a network system for them that they could continue on um, and have those networks at past their time with us, but also um, to come in and actually give feedback on the work. Um, and, and kind of go through those trenches with somebody that, that knows how to make something work and knows what doesn't work and can look at it with that critical eye. Um, and so we were kind of coming up with this development model as well at the same time. So all these things are kind of going at the same time. Um, and then I got in my, into my master's <laughs> and, I, and I think there was an excitement and there was, and you know, I kind of have come to terms with the feelings that have been around it before, but um, um, at the time I accepted and uh, I was moving out of town and quite far away. And so um, my teacher, my voice teacher wanted it, other people wanted it, it was very exciting. I knew that I was ready. And so months later, I, I ended up getting into that school and, and um, with a full ride scholarship, all paid for everything um, and went and I and throughout that summer so there's about four months between before I left throughout the summer I was actually in the park talking to Simi and I kind of I remember saying to you Sim that like yeah I'm gonna do this master's and I was justifying it I was like yeah I'm gonna do it um, but like it's not the end goal like I had pretty much decided I'm gonna be a producer I'm going to produce and I'm going to create opportunities. I'm going to create rooms for people to work in. And um, I remember saying to Sim, you know, I'm going to do this master's and then it's going to, you know, it's going to whatever. It's good to have MA. It's good to have all these more schooling or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter that I'm going to be a producer or whatever. And then after that, I'll get a job. And then further down the line, 10 years down the line, I'll start my theater company that I want. And I'll like be able to like, like create these support systems for, for emerging people. And then, <laughs> then I went, even though I was already like, I'm just going to do it and then move on. And in my first lesson, like first lesson, I walked in, I, she's, we were chatting with my new teacher. She did, you know, did her, you know, how voice teaches it. I sang and it was completely internal. And I was like, nope, I'm not supposed to be, I'm not supposed to be doing this master's. And it would, again, it's those spontaneous things that kind of come up in my life where I'm just like, yep, like that's it. And so that's, so I just knew. And then I, again, justified it to myself and said, well, that's okay. Like you knew that. So now just do the work and move on. Do the work, get your degree, do the two years, whatever. And I remember again, just being overwhelmed with, with perfectionism and anxiety. And like, I know that those are really real problems for performers. And so I remember, and it was added on to this whole idea of, I don't have the drive to be here. So it was like, I am, I'm feel anxiety and perfectionism to be amazing. 
and then also riddled with like I have no motivation to be amazing <laughs> so like you know what I mean so it was like there was no there was nothing driving me and also to this idea that like I knew like that I didn't have that internal drive to perform anyways and now it's like I don't even have any so um so basically I like you know stayed afloat and everything and I would call my sister every night and cry and cry and cry and cry and just be like I I just have to do my paper. I just have to learn this music. I just, and it was like the joy. Oh my God, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> it was like the joy of singing was being ripped away from me. And I, and I couldn't remember what it felt like to enjoy singing and to enjoy performing. I remember then one night I was facing my sister and I was crying. I said, I just, I just have to do it. I just have to do this masters. And my sister said, we don't have to do this masters. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> and so, um, so then uh, so that was like one of the days. And the second day, so like, then I went to bed, cried, went to be- bed. The next morning, I like turned off my computer. I turned off my phone. I went for a six hour walk around the city. And like, again, was just like thinking about what do I want? And it was, I was realized that I was completely riddled by the fears of what people would think of me after I put all this work in and now I'm leaving or choosing something different and I did a pros and cons list (laughs) and all the and genuinely all the cons were what would this person think of me this person will hate me this person do you mean and so I just was like and then I realized like the fear of people hating me and the fear of people thinking I'm a failure was not worth this feeling right now. And so um, I started the process of withdrawing from my master's, which was a lot longer and um, a lot longer of a, of a process than I think some people think. And so I went to the leader of the opera and my specific voice teacher were the same person. I felt really strongly um, that I was going to stand in the face of my fear and confront my fear, which meant going to each of my teachers individually, face to face and telling them I'm leaving. And it was really important to me. So I made, um, I made uh, meetings with all of my professors and each one of them was like, yeah, like, okay, like this, cause this sounds great, like for sure. And even as I was doing, you know, um, rehearsals for the opera, one of the, the um, music directors, um, owns her own theater com- opera company as well and I was trying to t- I was talking to her about you know my fourth year and what I want to do and she even said to me she said you don't sound like a performer Laura like you sound like you're a mu- you're a producer like why are you here and that was that was in September and so I went to her and she was like this is incredible and she she invited her opera company that weekend was doing a conference and she was like, don't even worry about paying for the ticket, come to all three days of the conference. It was about four opera producers and theater producers. Um, And I said, okay, great, like, yeah, I'll come. And it was incredible. Like I would work with that company in a heartbeat. And and then I told all my other professors and they were like, yeah, this is is fine, like for sure. And then I remember um, making a meeting with my specific voice teacher and she was also the leader of the opera like the opera lead and so i um i made a i made a appointment with her and she's and i was terrified like i was terrified i thought she was gonna yell at me right there i thought that she was gonna like tell me i'm an idiot tell me whatever and i sit 
<laughs> she's so cute. She's like a five foot, like nothing little French lady. And she, and I had been over to her house multiple times for like dinner and for like, she's just so warm and sweet. And there's no merit to me being scared to tell this woman. And I sit down and, you know, she had, could see that I was really struggling, you know, mentally. And I'd struggled with depression. She kind of was aware of that and aware of getting me supports. And she was really great. And um, I sit down and we look, I look her in the eye and she goes, she goes, Laura. <laughs> I, go, I go, yes. And she goes, what is it, Laura? <laughs> and then I say, I'm just going to tell you right away, be direct. I'm withdrawing from this master's. And she goes, Laura. <laughs> She's so cute. And you know what? Like, um, and she and I, we talked for about like 45 minutes and she was really supportive and you know i she said you know i i'm so used she's like i just told her like that drive in me isn't there and you know all the things that i mentioned before and she just said you know i'm usually better at at noticing it you know voice voice teachers are very in tune she said i'm so much better at at noticing it and i and i she said i really thought you wanted it and i looked her at her and i said i really wanted to want it and um she was like that makes complete sense to me and so i was like yeah and that was and that was kind of what, how i made sense of the last like kind of year and a half um at that up until that point was like i really wanted to want this i really wanted to want this life i took a couple of days <laughs> and then i sent in the paperwork to formally withdraw from my masters and i got confirmation back essentially right away and the whole next day I wept and wept and wept and cried and cried and cried and just like didn't get out of bed and it wasn't and I've told people this story and they say oh well do you regret it no I've never once a day has not gone by that I don't regret leaving that master's and essentially leaving opera singing behind but I cried the next day the whole next day because I was grieving the life I thought I was going to have and I was grieving the person that I was yesterday and while I love the person that I am today and while I feel like I've grown so much, she was real and she wanted to want it. And, you know, she was there and she was down this path and there was a future set out for her. And I think I was grieving what that could have been. Um, and so I was really, really sad. I had to stay up in the city for quite a while, about two months um, to, you know, transfer over my lease and everything. I got a job, a seasonal job up there. And it was really good for me to, I never lived on my own by the, at that point. I was living, I li living completely on my own in a studio, studio apartment. I was in a different city. It was really beautiful and good for me to understand who I was for those two months and who and what I was capable of. And then that was kind of December, January. In December, I, you know, texted Josh and I said, um, I really just want to create theater. And COVID was like rampant. And especially in the city I was in, it was like, we were in lockdown. Like you can't leave your house lockdown. And um, I remember texting Josh and I was like, I just want to create theater again. Like I just want something. I want to, I want to organize something. <laughs> and he's like, well, let's do it. So we organized a virtual reading, live streamed reading of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It was a really simplified stage version. We got, there's about 12 parts in that. So we just contacted a lot of our friends who are actors. Um, we did three rehearsals. 
virtually over Zoom. Um, and then we kind of broadcast it and uh, we got 50, just over 50 households watching. Um, and um, we like learned how to live stream and learned how to all these different like things that were like insane. Did you know that YouTube has to take 24 hours to verify your account before you can live stream? I, I now know that. So. <laughs> so it was a lot of things like that, like little small things that again, like I get so much fulfillment out of figuring out. And like I even said, and I've said this to Sim before, like I find so much more creativity and fulfillment figuring out the behind the scenes than I really ever did on stage. I felt creativity and I felt flow and I felt, you know, but it wasn't to this extent. Like I, like figuring that out about YouTube was like the hardest, but also like the most fulfilling thing I've ever experienced. Like what's holding us back? And we both had kind of said, we need to have careers. We need to have status. We need to have credibility, whatever. And I just said, why? Like, why? So we launched, uh, we made a quick graphic that now that we're like an actual leader company, it's like our thing now. <laughs> Both of us are like, we should have spent more time on it. And, um, but it's, we, we kind of came up with a name. Um, it's First Steps Theater. We have a website, firststepstheater.com. If you want to go see it, check it out. Um, but we really wanted to be the first steps of some of these of these developments, the first steps of these playwrights, these actors, these supports, right? And the first steps into a, a, a blooming career, a flourishing career. And so we're first steps theater. We made a quick graphic in one day, posted, made a Facebook page, posted the Facebook page. And in day one, we had over 200 likes of it, of our Facebook page. And then the day two, we announced that we were doing, we were needed submissions because we we're gonna do um, development, like short development, a shortened version of our development model. And we had submissions like then and there. And then, um, and then we started making, and then like other theater companies and other producers started reaching out to us just, you know, to network and everything. And I've never, and I, I hope Simi can see this too. Like I've never felt more myself than in the last seven months. And I've never like come into my own than in the last seven months of my life. Even for me, just to hear like somebody else's story and watching you or hearing that you truly followed your heart and your gut and you knew that there was something else calling you, you had a different purpose and that you were able to follow it. It's hard to do stuff like that. Um, and I think everyone needs to hear this story. Um, and I think that is why Simeon and I created something like this to share these stories and to show young singers, young musicians and artists that there is not one path. It's also so nice to hear how okay it is to change your mind. Because I think when we're in it, like for Cass and I being on this road and really sure that this is what we want to do, there's almost like a negative connotation that comes with deciding you want to do something else. And it's like super duper okay to decide you want to do something else. And even um, in, in, you know, the economy and, and the life of a singer these days, you're probably going to end up doing something else in addition to it yeah. just to survive. So I think even if you decide to veer away from it completely to do other things, it's so okay yeah and i think too what i really had to deal with and come to terms with as well and then you know i always say and i've said it to simi a bunch of times like at some point down the line i'm gonna like reform the education system 
um, because I have so many things wrong with it. But <laughs> but um, I think also too, music school is really difficult because it's an incredible time to like fine tune your instrument and to fine tune your knowledge of your instrument, your history of your instrument, your theory. It's beautiful, but, but it also is detrimental because it's so fine tuned that you forget that you're a whole human being. You are, you are any, you forget that you're anything else other than this degree and this instrument. And so, you know, like I am a, I am a self-proclaimed historian as well. I work at a historic museum. I'm an interpreter. I, you know, I mean, I, I'm a weaver, I'm a knitter. I'm, and there's so many other things that I am that are healthy that you should have. You are a complete whole human being. And it's difficult. And I wouldn't even say it's isolated to music. I would say it's amplified in a music degree. I felt it in psychology as well. And I know that other people feel it. Is when you're so focused on one thing, you're so fine-tuned, you forget that you're a whole human being. You have other likes and interests and passions and fulfillments and other people in your life and like things like that that are really difficult. And so when you leave even your undergrad, I think that it's really interesting to watch what people do. Because there are people like you, Cass and Simi, where I know 100% because Sim and I have had these conversations. Sim, this is what you want to do. This, you have that. And it's really interesting to watch people because you left your undergrad and you're like, I'm going to have the motivation to do things, these things on my own. I'm going to start this podcast. I'm going to watch these operas, whatever. And there are other people that leave and then they remember, oh my gosh, I really like playing guitar. Wow, I really like estheticians and and doing hair and do you know what I mean and it's really interesting how people kind of what manifests after you leave school and so I would even say to like give it a second like leave school like graduate you know figure out and there's time like there's so much time you can I I could also have this theater company not that the plan is but I can have this theater company for a year and change again like there's so much time in life yeah that is and it's so good to reflect on that as well I mean just finishing my undergrad and knowing that I have a purpose in performance but leaving it in this time I've reflected I did one summer program that was it usually my summers are packed I really have not sung that much I'm gonna say that right now I've taken like a second because I know in the fall I'm gonna be like 90% of myself is probably going to have to be, you know, focusing on that at, at in Toronto. But I know that there, there are also, I have a purpose in many other things other than singing. And I know that that doesn't, that doesn't negate like what I can do in this world, in the opera world. Um, but I, I have felt that pressure that it, it should only to be an artist it, that is it. That is your life. And I will respectfully disagree with that because I think that there are so many other things that can fulfill what what I'm here for. Um, and I, I've taken this time that I finally I finished my undergrad. It took a little bit longer. And, um, and I was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to take a break. Yeah. And it's okay to not feel that, you know, I have to be an artist 100% of my life because there are other parts of me 
that are just as worthy, you know, that are just as deserve the time it needs. And I think it's healthy to, to do that too, because I think there can be things that become really detrimental to health in, in all aspects um, of health. And I would also say too, like for artists, if there are artists watching this, like, like your, your job, even if you're like 100%, I'm supposed to be a performer, I'm supposed to tell these stories, your job is to tell stories. Mm -hmm. So if you aren't collecting stories along the way, or if you aren't collecting experiences and feelings and, and emotions, and if you're not a whole human being that experiences other things in life, you cannot do your job accurately. You yep. cannot do your job to the fullest extent and potential that you, I know that you want to do. And so collect those stories, collect those experiences, collect those other passions and those other things and experience like parts of life. You know, when I bring up my weaving, people are like, weaving? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? So like experience other aspects of life, other people's stories, go meet other people. Don't sit in a practice room alone all the time. Like, please sit in a practice room. But like, <laughs> not all the time, yeah. right? So that you can do your job accurately and tell stories accurately with well-rounded experience. Another reason why we're doing this is because we feel like it's very hard for people to dive into the world of opera or being performers or finding out how to do the thing. Really? And it, even though some people have voice teachers, some voice teachers don't even like explain the fullness of it. There's not time to. Um, so yeah, that is really interesting that your company is also about that um, and helping people forward with that. Um, do you wanna chat a little bit more about how you can do that with artists or even people who want to produce? Yeah, so um, yeah, that's a really good point. So um, for anybody that's watching that wants to um, kind of be involved with First Steps in any way, whether that's an audience member, whether that's working with us, whether that's just volunteering, everything is available on our website, firststepstheater.com. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, there's a couple different things that we, we do. So right now we are doing small, um, workshops for playwrights so we're focusing on playwrights right now one because it is there aren't a lot of opportunities for emerging playwrights and we say that not because there aren't any there are some amazing programs and amazing you know support systems i say that because as we all know there is a rise of mainstream musicals great i love a musical I also just think that um, there's a lot more supports for them because they make a lot more money. And so um, so we are focusing on plays. That's one aspect. Second is that um, it, it, it also just takes less resources. So we are spending this time focusing on plays. Our goal is to be able to um, actually um, have multiple development streams going at the same time, hopefully um, for plays, operas, and musicals. No, Obviously, no. operas and musicals take more resources and also take longer to develop um, take you know a play can relatively be, be developed well in a year and published a musical can take five to ten years an opera maybe even longer so we um so we're just setting ourselves we're taking this time to focus on plays and setting ourselves up with the resources to do um musicals and operas and um, so right now we take submissions uh for plays all the time does not matter the length 
um, we do ask that it's in PDF format. You can find that link on our website. Um, we also um, are consistently, we have an open um, general audition call. Again, you can find that link um, on our website. Um, we're actually looking, we're going to be casting our next development workshop or our play reading um, actually in August, so in a couple weeks. Um, so keep an eye out for that for our next reading in September. Um, and right now we're doing shorter development uh, projects, so about two to three weeks of rehearsals um, and then a live stream uh, workshop with feedback, three different forms of feedback, including invited creatives. You have a project um, that might not fit within what we're looking for right now as part of our next couple of virtual readings. And um, we are always open to conversation. Um, so you can email us um, at firststepstheater at gmail.com as well. But um, like the shows that we're taking to Fringe is actually a playwright, um, Abhimanyu Acharya, who he actually came and said, I have this, idea. it's not written yet. I have this idea and I want to develop it in rehearsals, like actually with actors there. Wow. And so, um, and so he emailed us, pitched it to us. We had a meeting with him and just said, okay, what is this going to look like if we, if we say yes? And we were like, this is awesome. So we actually partnered with him, um, casted uh, based off his character descriptions and then throughout um, development workshops and improv sessions actually with these actors um, created a script in rehearsals. Um, and so it was really, yeah, it was really fun. And we're actually taking that script to the Fringe Festival to stage in person. So um, yeah, like it, it looks different ways for sure. And we are always looking for volunteers. Um, we're always looking for actors and playwrights and, and just ideas and, and for young people to feel like there's somewhere that they can, you know, go off on the branch and go off on the limb and that there's a, there's a net underneath them and there's, you know, there's, or there's a person holding onto the trunk and I'm like holding their hand as they walk out onto the limb. And so um, that's kind of how I visualize my role in it. And it also, again, First Steps Theater everything. So firststepstheater.com, First Steps Theater on Instagram, and firststepstheater at gmail.com. Um, just have a conversation with us. Yeah. Through being a musician and going through the undergrad and even a little bit of the master's, could you bring any of that musician um, training knowledge and, and bring that into your producing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think there's a double, a couple of different facets of that. Um, firstly, it gives me, because I've been on stage, it gives me incredible patience <laughs> and also understanding um, throughout a development process and the anxieties and perfectionism that I know are in that environment as a performer. So I can pre-plan for that. So, you know, when it comes to, I know we've all probably received rehearsal schedules and been like, I'm supposed to be off book by this date. That's not going to happen. Didn't you mean like things like that, right? So because I know those, I can pre-plan for those, right? So I, I relatively know uh, a good schedule. I, I also have this, I know when I've received an email that says all the information that you need to know, and it has none of the information you need to know. <laughs> So, you know what I mean? So I, I understand as a performer, yeah. where are my anxieties at? Where, what do I need to know as a performer? For example, call times, but not only call times, specific locations, not just, not just seat her, like, <laughs> like, you know, come in this door, like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. like all 
little things too. So it's been able, as I've been in the spot of being at liberty of all of the organizers as a performer, I now know from the other side, what do they need and what can I give them and how can I pre-plan so that the actors actually feel really, really supportive again. I would also say that, um, so that's like one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is like, um, there are times in rehearsals when, you know, you bring things up and I'm not talking about really serious conversations. I'm talking about things about character, about blocking, about overall vision for the show. There are things that you bring up in rehearsals um, that you think sometimes can be just shot down, which is fine, right? But, which is fine, and, you know, some would say it's part of the way that it goes. I would also say, like, I always felt like there was not so, in the experiences I had, I'm not going to say everyone, experiences I had, I would say that there wasn't always a conversation. There wasn't always open feedback. You know, I'm very, uh, very adamant about the fact that there is not, there is a hierarchy of role and of information and of, you know, clarity and of decision making, but there is not a role in who's better than somebody else. So specifically in first sub theater, we have a very serious feedback mandate where even though I would say I'm general director and there and there's actors, actors, we actually have spaces in our meetings where they have opportunities to give me feedback. They have opportunities to give me feedback on how I've been conducting, how I've been speaking to people, how I've been conducting my emails, my meetings, things like that. Within our senior meetings with the artistic director and with the marketing director, we have about 10 to 15 minutes at the beginning of every meeting where it's an opportunity for feedback. And there is, you know, and so there is a conversation. We also are very adamant with all of our participants that if you have a question or concern, not just about the information that we're giving you, but about about where you think our morals and ethics lie, where do we lie on certain topics that are important in theater, that are important in, in creative making, reach out to us. We are we are a Zoom meeting away. We want to have those conversations with you, open up those conversations. So it's interesting in that way too, of like being in those spaces where I didn't always feel like there was a conversation, being able to say from the beginning with first steps, like we will have those conversations. Yeah. We'll open up opportunities to have those conversations. I would also say artistically, um, there's a definitely a work ethic and a performance aspect to my job as well as producer. You know, a lot of my job, you know, a lot of my job as a performer was like, you know, if you have, it, like, there's like 100%, right? That's your performing life. 10% is on stage. 90% is alone crying in a practice room. <laughs> like, like, so yeah. like, it's, yeah, it's like really exciting. Okay, I would say like, okay, 85% is alone crying in a practice room. 10% is on stage. 5% is actually, you know, schmoozing. And like, after the show, when everyone comes see you, I would say that like, it's pretty much the same. Like, there yeah. is a time where I, I'm really dedicated and I'm working alone at my desk and I'm doing the organization and I'm writing emails and having phone calls and whatever. There's a time where I'm networking and performing essentially where it's showtime and I'm doing the technical aspect and I'm right. And then there's 5% where I'm networking and I'm bringing out and, or I'm at a, I'm at a networking party with other producers and things like that where I am schmoozing essentially. 
right? And so it is all, it, again, it's set up the same way. I'm just using a different instrument. I'm not using my voice, you know? I'm using my brain. I'm using my administrative skills. I'm using my overall bird's eye vision of a show rather than what does, how does my character fit into this, yeah. right? So it's just a different view. I would say almost every aspect other than physically using my voice is, yeah. is used in, in producing. There is constant tug of war and constant struggle to be heard as a singer, despite the fact that you are on stage singing over an entire orchestra. When it comes to the behind the scenes, being heard is so difficult. And so the feedback thing that you were talking about yeah. is so impactful. But do you find being on that side, do you see the struggle that the performers have to go through to be heard? Yeah, that's a really good question, Sim. Um, so when some, when when we cast um, and when we bring, essentially when we bring on anybody, um, I even did this with the marketing director when, when we brought them onto the team, when we bring anyone into First Steps community, um, we, Josh and I actually have a meeting with them um, where we talk through healthy, well-given feedback. Um, because there is a section um, or there is a time in life when you know you can say, this is feedback, but really you're just being cruel. And, um, and I think that that's where we can get really de detriment because everybody in a rehearsal room, even though it doesn't look like it, everyone in a rehearsal room is being vulnerable. Everybody is scared in that moment to yeah. a different extent, whether they're aware of it or not, it's vulnerable. That's yeah. why so many wounds happen in the rehearsal room. And so I think like we, we, Josh and I have a meeting with anyone we bring in and we just say, we lay out healthy, well-given feedback. We have a couple of resource videos as well that we require them to watch. And then we have a conversation and bring up, do you have any questions about how we've laid out well-given feedback? Do you have any questions about um, how feedback is gonna work when we're in the development process? And so that is a really good place to start because everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows the requirements and expectations of feedback. And then further to that, we do say that we, we actually, everybody that is a participant with us has to sign a contract. <clears throat> and in the contract, we lay out um, verbal and or direct and indirect uh, bullying and negative feelings. And we also sign that if there is any tension in rehearsal rooms or, with, or outside of the rehearsal room, um, that we will be contacted first. And it will that we want to be either be able to set up mediations we want to be able to be in the room we want a conversation we want to know what's happening because you know even specifically my role i'm not in the rehearsal room all the time um and so they have to sign that contract as well so they know that the their expectation is to contact us if they feel uncomfortable if they feel like it's towards them if they see it they know that their expectation is to contact us so again setting just and making sure everyone's on the same page to speak their voice to that um, and it's and we've had multiple times where participants have contacted us and we've said something and um they've said i don't agree with that and we've said well here's the zoom link here's the time we're meeting let's chat it out in person yeah. uh, and and i think that that is i've always been and this is with feedback too i've always been very adamant that it, that expectations start at the top you lead how you want your company to be run. You lead how you want people to react and also, you know, 
and also go that way. So I'm also the first person in a meeting in front of everyone, in front of all the participants for the fringe, in front of all the participants, whatever show we're doing. If I made a mistake, I am very adamant that I need to say it to the group. I'm yeah. sorry, that was my fault. Let's move on from that, right? And we have been asking every one of our guests this question. We think it's so powerful and cool to hear everybody else's why. So we were wondering, what is your why for what you do? That's really interesting and really difficult. <laughs> it's always like, I feel like I'm on like a university exam when they like ask a really open-ended essay question and you have like the last 30 minutes to answer it and you're like, <laughs> I know you really should have started with that question so you had time to think about it and go back, but we like to put our guests on the spot apparently. That's a really good question. I would say that like um, my why in life. So I sort of subscribe a lot to minimal minimalism, <clears throat> which I thought was a cult until I actually looked into it. Um, but it's not. So people listening, like look into it. Um, anyways, but they um, like minimalists, whatever, have a really good um, idea of like basically, and I do this too, when, you know, we get so fixated specifically in Westernized culture of what do you do? And then you say your job. Well, you know, what if we asked that question, what do you do? And it was, oh man, I, I snowboard every day. Or, oh, like I, I love Netflix. Like that's what I do. Like that's who I am. Again, talking back to that fulfillment. So I think like, I don't necessarily feel like I have a why of like, I'm working towards this goal or I'm working towards this thing. I think that like my why in life is moments like this where, you know, there is something in the air and I felt it with performing too. And I know you guys have too, where you're, you're, you're performing and there's something in the air. No one on earth has been able to articulate in words what that is yet. I'm waiting for a research paper. I'm waiting for a master's paper, but there is nothing where there's something in the air that will never be there again. The next night will be a different audience. The next time we have a conversation will be a different circumstance. will be a different time of the day. None of it will be the same. This moment right here where we can tell that all three of us are connected. There's yeah. something in the air in each of our rooms. There's something that we have been tethered to with yes. each other. That that, because in those moments, I feel the most fulfilled in life. Yes. Like in these moments where I feel, where I'm performing and I feel it with the audience, where I am having a deep, meaningful conversation with somebody and light bulbs go off and I feel tethered to that person when I'm, you know, when I'm at a, a, a show and I'm sitting in the audience and the person beside me is crying and I feel connected to that person. I feel like I don't have to work anymore in life. I feel like I don't have to strive for anything in life. I feel fulfilled in that moment. And then when it dissipates, it's like, okay, well, on to the next thing. And I do feel like sometimes we get into this rut of we're working, we're working, we're working. Well, what if our whole point here and what if the whole why on earth is that we're working and striving to feel this? Yes. And so if that is why we're doing that, then why have we kind of been distracted by all these other things and not doing this? Yeah. You know, so I feel like that is my why to continually be in circumstances where I have this feeling, this fulfilled feeling where I could never, I feel right now as if I could never leave this moment. 
like mm. this feeling will stay with me forever yeah and the sad part is that it doesn't always so I find the next one and I find the next yeah. one and I find the next one this thing in the air that no one can actually use words to articulate yet like in in the world no one has yeah. been able to articulate or measure it it's you can't harness it it's not man-made you can't measure it you can't describe it in words but every single person on the face of the earth knows that it's there that is incredible it's that incredible. is something that you need to you need to chase not this stupid things that we man make not these stupid things yep. that we say are success but this thing that like every single person on the face of the earth feels it and understands what i'm taught what i'm explaining and describing a million minutes 40 minutes to do rapid fire. We just said fire. We didn't do the rapid part. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Rapid fire. Oh, okay. Do you have a party trick? And if so, what is it? Oh. I used to be able to... <laughs> I used to be really into Eminem. And so my... My party trick is that you used to be able to rap any Eminem song like to T I have recently been like Eminem is probably problematic I don't like him anymore <laughs> and so I and I, I genuinely haven't listened to Eminem like maybe like here or there maybe like love the way you lie you know what I mean um but like not probably in like 10 like not 10 years like probably five or six years I haven't listened so I couldn't do that anymore party trick party trick I'm usually like in the corner knitting at a party so what is something that made you happy today? Oh no. Um, um well my sister brought the Starbucks. Good one. So that made me really happy. Okay, I feel like maybe I know this answer now. But what is your hobby? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, knitting. Well, textiles. I like to say textiles. Okay. Um, so knitting, weaving, um, my sister spins wool, my, me and my sister also dye yarn, um, with natural dyes. Um, I'm part of the London district weavers and spinners guild. Um, so we kind of get together. I also kind of sew a little bit. Um, crochet. And then I, sorry, say it again. Crochet. I crochet as well. Um, and then I would also say that like, I'm really, um, I like I I'm a self-proclaimed historian like um I really enjoy just understanding what came before us and why we do the things today that we just accept so awesome um where is your happy place okay there's a couple because like I know the answer that people want to hear I all y'all watching I know what you want to hear it's like a place yeah, that's PEI, Prince Edward Island. I went there, I got off the ferry, and I wept. It was like a spiritual experience. I had come home. What is truly my happy place is my bed. <laughs> Where I, I always say, I always say that my whole day is just a slow crawl back to my bed. So um, I would say my bed with Netflix on. Don't even, don't even, I don't even need to talk to people for a couple of days. What advice would you give your younger self? Whoa. Do you want me to answer that not in five minutes? Sometimes people aren't going to like you. 
and that living to to please other people will it has been the cause of a lot of my depression um and so i think i would say like people just sometimes people won't like you sometimes people won't like what you say and so i think that just encouraging encouraging my younger self of like there was a lot of times when i just did was what was expected of me and tried to and thought that success in life was being well liked and success in life was being quiet and kind and everything while while those are things that i do are staples of who i am i will be kind i will be all these things i also though have a mind and an opinion and and they're valid and so i think i would say you know i would just encourage her and say like sometimes you won't be liked but at the same time on the other side of vulnerability on the other side of saying some things that people won't like is great joy and great freedom and is great authenticity and you're going to find people that will really agree with what you say and really align with you and those people are going to be beautiful so yeah i would say like it's okay to be not liked sometimes what is your favorite beverage Oh, uh, me, uh, Tim Hortons, medium steep tea, two milk, two sweeteners. So, okay. can I just yeah. tell you, we talked about what questions we're going to ask, and then we split it into two sections, and we are pulling them from this hat. And they were like, okay, she's going to say a medium or steep tea with, like, exact order. I was like, really? <laughs> That moment, I think, just solidified Simi in my uh, relationship. <laughs> and I probably go to Tim Hortons three to four times a day, and that's my and that's my 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 drink of choice. So that's my beverage. Like, legitimately, there's been times when Simi's been at these parties where, like, it's like bring your own bring your own booze, like whatever. I show up with the tea. Like, I show up with the Tim Hortons. That's my. <laughs> it's Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons in one hand, and your purse of knitting and stuff in the other. Yeah. I remember when we've had a few solidifying friendship moments, but I remember the first one was when we went to Tim's at one of the buildings on campus between classes and you and I chatted for probably two hours. And that was our, that was in my head, our first friendship moment. Wow. It was really beautiful. And she, what did she order? Steve G2 Mochi Sweetener. Yeah. Okay. And I would say like most of my core friendships have been solidified at a Tim Hortons. So yeah, that reads, that reads. It's literally, and I've said this to Simi, you can cut this, this out if you want, but um, I've said this to Simi that one of the reasons I haven't moved out of Canada yet is because other places don't have Tim Hortons. <laughs> and like, that's genuine, like that's real. That's a real thing, Cass. <laughs> We're getting to know each other here. Yes. I also am like, I don't own a Tim Hortons franchise in my life. What am I doing with my life? You know what I mean? I See, what I think you should do is get Tim Hortons to sponsor First Steps. I love this question because I know you're a self-proclaimed historian. If you could travel to any year to meet somebody, past or future, who would you want to meet? Interesting. So my favorite era is 1840s to the 1860s Victorian England. There's a lot of people in that time period that I would love to meet. I'd love to meet Queen Victoria. I would only want to meet her, though, 
before Prince Albert died because after Prince Albert died, like she, my interpretation is she wasn't like exactly like, open <laughs> to people. So um, I would meet her, want to meet her before that. Um, there's all, I also, I can't remember his name right now, but the guy that invented the sewer system, the modern sewer system, and essentially saved like thousands upon thousands of Victorian English people from cholera because they would poo in the same river that they would get their water from. And then they didn't understand that that would cause you to have cholera and die. So a lot of people like infants and children, like that's why the life expectancy was so short. Who took you to your first opera and what was it? Wow. Okay, this is going to be kind of a lame answer because I had never been to an opera until university. I had listened to opera music and I knew what opera was, but I remember first year I went alone. (laughs) First year I went alone and it was, oh, was it Carmen? No, Carmen was when I was there. It must have flew probably. No, was it Sephora Angelica, the first one? You weren't there. Maybe. I don't even know they did it that soon. Yeah, they did it in my first year. That's why there was also a big uproar that they did it so soon after as well. Mm-hmm. Anyways, but they the double Puccini opera where it's um, Johnny Skiki and Sor Angelica. They just ignore the first one. Just, actually, that, that, that cast was really good. I remember. But Sor Angelica, I remember, was my first year sight reading teacher. It was Jen Sear. I love Jen Sear. Yes. She's incredible. And she's an incredible soprano. And she was for Angelica. And I remember, like, I'd never been in an opera before. And I went alone on a Saturday night. And I was just, like, floored. I was like, <laughs> incredible. But if heaven exists, what do you want God to say at the pearly gates? Wow, that's a really good one. And Simi and I have had a lot of conversations about this. Um, because I am a spiritual person. And I don't necessarily... Um, agree theologically that we are living our lives out to go somewhere i do think that we live our lives out um because at one point heaven and earth were together obviously something happened and i do think that we live our life um to continually create pockets where heaven and earth can collide again and i do think that when i'm talking about this this idea of um of this thing in between us you know, this thing that's tethering us together that we we can't harness and everything. I do, like, my belief is that this we are creating moments in that, in that time, in those moments, when heaven and earth are, are colliding. And that's actually that complete fulfillment is what we are meant to feel as human beings in, in heaven. Um, and so I think that's really difficult for me. I would think I would say, I would say, like, the classic answer of, like, good job. You, you did the best with what came at you you did yeah. that you did the best you could and i think like that's what i'm searching for on earth and i found people in life that have been able to 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 do that for me um and not in an egotistical way like tell me i'm amazing but like i think everybody oh. needs somebody to say oh, you're doing a job and yeah. i and i am excited for that when that happens it's gonna be really fun <laughs> and we'll see if my imposter syndrome is still there but no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if God is telling you and you still have imposter syndrome, therapy. <laughs> therapy. Therapy. I'm sure there's a whole section up in heaven. I'm just like, yeah. Can it be? Uh, can it be what? like government pays for therapy up there? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. But government being like just God. 
absolutely yeah absolutely for sure well laura thank you so so much i mean this was a blast for me i always love talking to you obviously but um i'm so glad we got to talk to you and hear a very different perspective for sure no it's been incredible like you guys are so fun (laughs) and i genuinely i just again i'm a little mad that i didn't wear black um really it's not black i promise (laughs) are you sure (laughs) um no this has been incredible and i think it's a really important topic for you know as you guys are creating this this podcast and this platform of of just of these emerging artists and you know i like your name dreaming divas and i think i think it's a really good important topic to to you know tackle and open the conversation at the beginning of like it's okay you don't have to choose opera. That's yeah. okay. You know? So, yeah. I'll talk to you soon. Should we, like, focus? Should we, like, actually bring this into... No. No. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. This is, like, every phone call that me and I have. So I'm so sorry, Cass. I heard this quote once in a, in a podcast, and I want to get it tattooed on my body. But it said, uh, this person said, I love humanity, 